When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Events over the past year have shone a light on racial inequality across the globe. Australia is no exception. This nation's journey towards a more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind, and in a spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. I asked the Prime Minister, how good is Australia? Please explain. I'm here to make a public statement. Australia is back on track. I actually find it gobsmacking. Just dumbstruck. I'm going to shirt front, Mr Putin. I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. I don't think I know. I have no hesitation. That should cause great concern. Just sit down. Let's stick in your eyes. You're a classic space invader. A social climbing sycophant. He needs a mirror. I mean... (laughs) Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Taste of democracy, very good. <laughs> G'day, Mark Kenny here from the ANU's Australian Studies Institute, and I'm joined, as is nearly always the case, by my friend and colleague, Dr. Maria Teflaga, political scientist, lecturer, and director of the Centre for the Study of Australian Politics. Hi there, Maria. Hello. Hello, everyone. Now, as we speak, it's just days to the federal budget, and this one has a pretty Herculean task to perform, at least politically, that is, repolling the collapsed circus tent that is the nine-year-old Morrison Coalition government. It is such a strange set of economic circumstances, too, that it finds itself in gargantuan debt, deficits as far as the eye can see, a lingering pandemic, a dangerous European war in which China is being implicated so that our chest-beating PM can flag trade sanctions against Beijing in the future, wages losing out to rising inflation, rising interest rates, labour shortages, floods, and, of course, an election to fight. To help us grapple with all of that is Peter Martin, AM, economist, broadcaster, business and economy editor at The Conversation, and no stranger to the sausage. Now, Peter, I don't—I suspect you probably don't want no stranger to the sausage written on your headstone uh, later on in life. Uh, no, thank you. No, especially not being a vegetarian. But, uh... <laughs> well, it could be a vegetarian sausage. I mean, this is a broad term these days, a broad church. Well, let's face it, the vegetarian sausage is—it's—it's they haven't really mastered. Yes, they that. have. They're better. No, I, I it's a recipe for gastro. Should we discuss this first? There's there's many good (laughs) vegetarian products, but I just... The the ones I don't like, Maria, Mm. are the ones that are like sausages. But those other ones that have got the herbs and and the chickpeas in them... Yeah, I imagine that would be quite good. Unrealism is fine. There are people who think that vegetarians want stuff that tastes like meat, that bleeds. and uh, Well, that's because they they don't. That's because you get... You remember that whole range of products like not bacon and not chicken (laughs) and stuff. and and, and They were awful too. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they weren't bacon and they weren't good either. Um, 
I think that was. I mean, I had a few of them, and and they, they seemed to me to be a recipe for gastric reflux. Uh, you know, like heartburn. <laughs> well, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not digestible, I suspect. At the risk of being non-political in a politics podcast, I'm wearing my vegan leather shoes and with a vegan leather belt. So, that, well, I can't I, compare. I, with I, that. I think that's very political. I mean, consistent. that's identity politics, and according it to some, it's destroying it, it his is, country. It is consistency. It is about if you're gonna if you're gonna care about <laughs> animals. I didn't think we were gonna discuss this today. No, what no, are we going to it, discuss? It is happening. It is happening. <laughs> Look, I think this is a, this is a, this is an interesting segue in, into um, some complex and difficult decisions that the government moral questions has to make. Yeah, yes, that's about, right. It's it's about about balancing the trade offs uh, between winning an election and the reality of the budget and economic unique fa- or not unique but uh, definitely uh, un, un uh, we haven't experienced this kind of set of economic circumstances for many decades well that's right and so tightening the vegan belt uh, might be the, the metaphor for the budget or loosening it or whatever it's going to be usually they loosen belts before elections and try and tell us they're tightening them whilst they dish out the dough and there's a bit of dough washing around already but before we even go to all of that What I want to do with you two excellent minds is just have a bit of a chat about South Australia in terms of its federal implications and, uh, um, you know, what actually happened there. And, Peter, you and I are both native South Australians. And we were both listening, uh, listening in my case, probably watching in yours um, on the night. The concession speech given by uh, Stephen Marshall, the uh, Premier, one-term Premier now, South Australia, was, uh, I'd be interested to to know what do you think, uh, as well, Maria, almost a perfect example of the genre. What he did, he he said, this is a wonderful day. We have all voted. We have all made our decision. And then he said, and, you know, they, there are good people on the other side. They'll do well. He observed inter alia and perhaps gratuitously that on both sides he came from a strong Labor family. Yeah. This is the Liberal, uh, yeah, the outgoing Liberal uh, Premier. Liberal Premier, and uh, these people will do well. South Australia is in good hands. I was thrilled beyond belief. And then the the speech of the incoming Premier was. Uh, if it was possible, even better. Yeah. So. Well, it was interesting uh, because one of the things he said in that speech, this is uh, uh, Stephen Marshall, was that uh, which really sort of jangled with me a bit. It, w- it was good. I agree with you. It was a really good speech. I, I just think it was deficient in one area, and and it, and that that really came to me when he sort of reached his apotheosis when he said, "And I have never been more confident and optimistic about South Australia mm. than I am right now." And I thought, so hang on. You've just been kicked out. At that stage, it looked like he might be losing his seat. He hadn't said a single word about whose fault it was that his, he'd led his party after just one term to a defeat. And and whilst I, I know that it was good to be very optimistic and to celebrate democracy in action and to and, and, and it was very South Australian in a sense. I noticed Van Badham, for example, among a number of people made the comment that the South Australian election seemed so much more civilised. We're nice. Yeah, and it is. It's, as I always say to people, it's the central state with a centrist political culture and uh, and that is a um, it is a more civilised place in that regard. It's less extreme, less open to that kind of useless hostility that we see characterising politics elsewhere and, and, in fact, even operating within the parties elsewhere, although there's no doubt that the divisions with, with inside the Liberal Party in South Australia are famously long, uh, you know, deep and long-reaching and, uh, and, and Marshall was torn down, in a sense, by divisions 
inside his party. In fact, yes, I'll, I'll go I mean, as far as to say he, that he could well say, "Look, uh, you know, if he was to observe what went wrong, he could say, well, you know, I was the captain of the boat. Yeah, <laughs> people that's in right. it weren't exactly rowing all of the right. That's time. right, and a couple of them jumped out, or uh, well, the police sort of required them to leave as they faced charges for this or that. So, yes, that was that was pretty difficult. But he and Vicky Chapman, the the deputy leader, were pretty much despised by the right of the party. You know, this is the same party that produced. Bernardi, uh, and used to be led by Nick Minchin, and which has Senator Antic in it now. You know, very, very conservative, very religiously conservative, and 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 hard line. So there's there's that element to it. So I suppose when I was asked the other day, you know, what happened, I, you know, and I thought about what I should have said after I said whatever it was that I did say. The pithiest way I could put it was, you know, we had a good government has lost its way, Julia Gillard's famous uh, famous explanation for taking over after Rudd. Well, I think in the South Australian case, it was a divided government lost its base. Yes, mm. but also I think the, the key thing that matters for states and now I think matters federally, given that we've had, you know, floods, um, uh, Ukraine, COVID, um, the key thing that matters for states, the only thing that they will punish you for is not delivering services. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Th- th- you know, we, essentially we employ them to do things for us. And yes, maybe if they're ideological one way or the other, we'll forgive them for that. But if they can't get hospitals working, if they open the state, the borders, at exactly the wrong time when yeah, the, the, the same Omicron, day that Omicron happened, yeah. yeah. Um, we don't forgive them for that, mm. uh, and it was it was um, yes. Yeah, so why did Marshall lose in South Australia? Lots of people I know think he's a really great guy. Uh, you know, they still think that they made a few mistakes that affected people's lives. Now that's traditionally been a state thing, I think, which is why people vote in Labor governments mm. who, are on mm. the whole, believe in providing services, so they're usually better at it. Um, traditionally been a state thing. I think increasingly it's becoming a, a federal thing. Well, well, the, feds the sort think of services they can do are national. The feds think they can do it, they don't, don't they, have Maria? A clue. I mean, we, 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 they don't we, have a chance. That's right. We've seen them. Uh, Defence you know, is the only, the only absolute thing they have to themselves. And yeah, they're and not always been a good at of, that. There have been a number of celebrated cases where the feds, Maria, have been you know eager to do services we saw it with the vaccine rollout for example they sort of inveigled their way into that um wanting to uh, you know to because that was meant to be the good bit of uh, of the pandemic you know the states were doing all the restrictions and all that all the unpopular stuff and then the the feds were going to roll in with this fantastic you know great sort of corrective the great the great cure but then they buggered it up so, so yeah, this is that's. I, I very much enjoyed listening to to your guys' um, views because I'm I'm not uh, I'm not South Australian, but I do think that South Australia's place is often overlooked. I guess in our our conception of of Australia, and it is actually quite unique and and ought to be celebrated more. I mean, South Australia is like a pioneer across so many different mm. uh, liberal kind of initiatives, like the right for unions to form, for for women to vote, for Indigenous people to vote. Uh, just to, just off the top of my head, the way so we own houses is in fact South Australian Torrance title um, that, that turned that. A nation, Australia into a nation of homeowners. Yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah, they so- developed a few things. Yeah, they certainly did, but um, I, I I do broadly agree, right? That um, that uh, you know you've sort of got this problem in the in the in the Liberal Party, which is increasingly 
drawing members from a much narrower, more conservative segment of the population, which doesn't necessarily match with its voter base. And we have compulsory voting, so it's not a mobilization game here, right? So that's that's a that's a massive dilemma for the for the Liberal Party to kind of uh, manage. And this is happening across several states. Um, you know, it's a long-standing tradition in in South Australia for it to be heavily factionalized but you can see this happening in Victoria and and the dispute going on in New South Wales still to this day uh you know with the court cases and all of that is absolutely the same issue um again and you know so one one kind of trivial way of viewing it is it's just a sort of return to type you know that like South Australia's a labor state and it's returned to type but I think what you guys were saying about service provision is very interesting and I just came out of a seminar just now uh the ANU poll uh results looking at it uh, over aggregate since uh, basically the the bushfires in 2019, and uh, two f- two or three findings out of that I think are kind of relevant and interesting to this conversation. And the, the first one was that Australia's views in what the role of government should be uh, have effectively remained very stable, even though we have had bushfires, uh, cataclysmic floods, and you know pestilence basically through through COVID nineteen, which suggests that actually. The fact that these views are stable, right, that it, that we have these disasters and people's views about what the government should do doesn't really change that much, suggests that it is actually a core value that we have as Australians, right? Disasters don't make us think any more or any less th- that the role of government in domains such as healthcare, borders, um, you know, environmental damage uh, remain, remain stable. And I guess that is one of the reasons why the Morrison government has kind of potentially kind of struggled because, you know, that that data also showed basically a sort of uh, kind of like an upside down U, right? Like very low trust during the bushfires. It it improved enormously over COVID. And once the vaccine rollout um, started to un- to unravel, to it unraveled as well. Mm. Yeah, to not roll out exactly. It, it it's it's trust really unraveled, and we we and the, the data revealed a similar shape for the states. Except the difference is is that the starting um, point for for the states versus the federal government was about fifteen percent, right? And so, so oh, that's you know, higher, pe- right? Yeah, so the, yeah. so 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 people had less tr- trust in the federal government. It rose to a less a less high peak than the state government, and it is now lower than state governments. Right, so it's a similar shape. So obviously, people's faith in both federal and state governments has um, gone on under the same journey. It's just that they trust the, the federal government absolutely less. Like, well, in well state terms. governments are in people's lives, aren't they? In a much more exactly. f- for the reason that Peter said, you know, they're they're actually providing services police education roads uh, health you know these sorts of things and and so state governments need to be close to their electorate yes, or, else they, they, or else they go the way of Marshall which is uh, pretty quick Morrison perhaps because the the federal government has if you like tried to become a state government yeah not only under Morrison uh, you know famously under under Rudd right you know yep. trying to, to and Howard before him you and know how took over Great a hospital right um, mm-hmm. uh, in Tasmania. <laughs> yeah, I was there. I actually travelled on the plane with him to that to that um, uh, was it Mersey side. Uh, That's Mer- right. Yeah, Mersey yeah. Hospital. Sorry, and, Mersey, and, yeah. and um, you know, the idea was that we were going to do it because we're better at it. Yeah. Uh, and then Rudd tried it, and so it there. It, it used to be. I think it, you could say that through, say the the Howard years and and before that, that um, people wanted services and they voted for services at the state level. At the federal level, they voted for lower taxes. 
right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and basically. of course, the, the, the two are in conflict, but it didn't matter because he could vote for services and he could vote for lower tax. Now the feds are getting so much into services that they're being judged on performance as well as low tax. Yeah, and I'm that's not going to be a happy judgment for the most part because they don't do services well and they every time they, they buy they, into they it, they no, sort of cock no, it up. No hope. Um, I'd be interested, Maria. But they the, the, used the, to be able to do this. When? Sorry. So, when could the feds provide so services? In the, in the, in, well, Cyclone I, I'm talking about a long, a long time ago, like, you know, 30 years ago, 50, 60 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not yes, that long. because it's it's right. You're right, right. You, the point you guys made about hollowing out is is exactly exactly the case. You know, like the, the federal health bureaucracy, for example, are policy advisors. They they formulate policy directions as opposed to deliver things. They as they we don't found run a out again, hospital, right? right? Yeah, or or uh, vaccinations or rat tests, right? Yeah, and the public service has lost a lot of capacity to to engage in policy thinking as as well because so much of it is kind of contracted out you know if you look yeah, at um, a, a di- the diagram of contracting out from 2010 to today it, I, I think it's almost doubled right and so and when this sort of phenomena of contracting out kind of began in the early 90s it's less damaging because your contractor used to be a public servant yeah. And so they had a lot of knowledge and capacity and there were still lots of public servants in the bureaucracy who who had the skills to be able to look at a tender or look at the stuff that comes out of a consulting firm and say this is garbage. And I think increasingly there is um, um, a, a lack of capability in some of parts of, a, of the bureaucracy to be able to look at some of this stuff and say this is garbage. Well, look at the Leppingen Triangle thing. I mean, they pay $30 million for a $3 million piece of land. Yeah, the Western Sydney Airport, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the incompetence of that or straight-out corruption, whatever it is, is uh, or both, uh, who knows? It's never really been properly explained. The money was never recovered. That's a staggering failure. Oh, but we all voted it before, so it's okay. Yeah, but also it's that it's again what I said about the states. It's that even at the federal level, the the things you're talking about, Labor tends to believe in government, and that what makes it difficult for the coalition to you know develop policy or maybe outsource to you know I think it's fine to outsource to someone in a um, accounting firm or something, is that they don't really believe in government. Now this mightn't matter if they deliver lower taxes. And that's what I was going to ask about, Maria. What is the, if the ANU has asked about this, the uh, view about taxes at the moment? The long-term history is that taxes used to be number one concern for people and uh, in the uh, 90s, beginning of the 90s, that really changed and health overtook it. Uh, If you ask people what matters to them and and, uh, taxes, their own personal finances aren't that important, which is, I think, a function of us both getting richer, so it doesn't quite matter as much, uh, and uh, getting older, you're you're more concerned about services. And yet this government, uh, you will find out more on the budget, uh, you know, on Tuesday, is really has been selling itself on, we will cut taxes. I don't think that cuts it anymore, but maybe it does. Well, it's cost of living, isn't it, really now? Well, yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's true and I, I think actually they'll, they'll deliver or they've more they're, or less said they'll deliver things to uh, address that or to yeah. try and, and address and the, the, the most recent polling I've seen on that and I think Resolve had some polling on this recently or one of the I remember reading it in the nine newspapers anyway um, recent polling showing that cost of living had had 
shot to number one uh, again, uh, which is not surprising. As given. it should. Well, you know, when you've you're looking at fuel prices and these sorts of things, yeah. Bread prices, wheat yeah. prices, up 25%. Sorry, Maria, I think I cut you off then. Oh, that's okay. So so they did not present data on, I guess, what that traditional kind of issues matrix, uh, but less than 50% of Australians think that it is the government's job to keep prices down, but it wasn't that much below 50%. And that, that measure kind of bounces around. I think the only other really interesting finding out of, of what was presented um, that I can remember was that statistically significant numbers of women think that the role of government is important and that is um, you know that that has remained constant over time because this survey the ANU poll uses panel data where which means that you go back to the same group of people um, so it's different to say the Australian mm. electoral study which is a different random sample every time or a poll which is a different random sample yeah so it's kind of time. got a longitudinal quality to it Yes, so it means that you can actually compare more readily, like how people's views of disasters, for example, yeah, are changing you can track because you've got opinions. the same. Yeah. Exactly. So it's got a lot of kind of potential there, and so that is actually something that it's it's the only demographic feature that seems to have actually have any statistical power over time. Is being female means that your your view about the role of government um, being important and being significant does not shift. It doesn't um, change as you age. That that that's what. You yes. Could so say. that. So that fell out uh, what about across pe- the panel What data. about people generally? Do they become more conservative as they age, as is often uh, yeah, said? Yeah, generally they do. Yes, that's that's a well-established finding in the voting behaviour. Resist, I say, resist. Now, well, it's mostly because they got money, right? And yeah, that's assets, right. They suddenly and they're invested got... in the current system and they're like, you know, that's right. change, and when, right? When you've yeah. lived it, as we see, you know, when people have lived in the system all their lives, they start defending it. They have a stake in it. As you say, they Precisely. build up assets within it and so forth. Let's intuitive. take a quick break and, and, and when we come back, We'll actually talk about the the budget, uh, as you mentioned, Peter, coming up in in, in only a few days' time. And uh, it was originally what we were going to talk about here, but we've had such a lovely chat about all these other things. So back in just a moment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Sharon Bessel. Policy Forum Pod is the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. Each week we bring together expert analysis to tackle the big issues facing our region and to propose policy solutions. It's insightful, it's positive and it's always fun. Policy Forum Pod is out every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your pods. Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts. Welcome back. Now, we were talking uh, before about a range of things and cost of living came up. And as, as I said to you uh, before in the introduction, Peter, you know, we've got debt and deficits as far as the eye can see. We've got the pandemic. We've got a lot of other things happening, global security situation. Um, we've got uh, inflation that's outstripping wages growth at the moment, which is a you know, has a big political dimension as well as an economic one. 
We're expecting to see forecasts which are pretty rosy in terms of wages and, and these sorts of things. Are there any on the list of um, challenges or variables that Josh Frydenberg and Simon Birmingham have to grapple with here that uh, I've, I've left off? I don't think so, but uh, I think that they're all coalescing into an almost uh, perfect, and I don't mean it ironically, a perfect storm. Um, what is it uh, Keating said? Kicked in the bottom by a rainbow or something? Now, <laughs> I, I, I know that he probably didn't use those words. It, no, uh, I don't think he ever said it often. <laughs> it, um, uh, it sounds odd to say that, right? In the uh, We listed the pestilence, the... The floods, war, so on, all of that. Um, the government did something uh, dramatic and unexpected uh, with COVID. It abandoned its back in the black idea, right? And uh, we've talked about this on, on the yeah. podcast before. It uh, flicked the switch to big, big spending. Mm. The theory was um, uh, Matthias Cormann, um, now the uh, head of the OECD in Paris, the, the finance minister, spelled it out clearly. The theory was that this would pay for itself, that this massive spending by supporting the economy would boost GDP such that debt to GDP dropped over time, even if you had to borrow to do it. Sort of self-fixing problem. And that's what the figures will show on the budget. So the, the figures on Tuesday night will show that over a period of years, I'm not quite sure um, what period of years. It's certainly not in the next six or so years. That, um, but uh, in the the period that's projected, that government debt to GDP, even after all of this borrowing, will be falling, and that's because of what they call in maths the denominator, right? Mm. And GDP will increase uh, for two reasons. Well, one of them is more a government revenue thing because of uh, commodity prices uh, going sky high. And here we can, uh, to some extent, think the war in Ukraine. You know, uh, one of our big commodities is wheat, right? Mm -hmm. Who knows what's going to happen to the price there? But already it's gone up 25%. And Ukraine's a big wheat producer normally. Yeah. And well, we well, are Ukraine a big, and Russia together are 39% yeah, of, of the world's wheat. That's right. But we are a big producer. We're about 11% of the world's exported wheat. So big increase in commodity prices, that will uh, boost GDP. The other thing, though, and um, it sounded fantastical, you know, in the days when Corman uh, and um, Frydenberg were talking about it, is that getting down unemployment, no one thought we could get it down to where we are, the budget all... Well, if you close your borders, you can get your unemployment uh, down. I'll take you up on that in, <laughs> in 30 seconds. Okay. Um, the... the, the We'll get down to 3.5%, uh, something like that, unemployment. The budget might even forecast 3.5. It will certainly forecast 3.75. The, the, the theory was that the nice nursery rhyme that you tell your children is that you do this and the government will have more tax revenue, mm -hmm. more people paying tax, of course, they're working, and will be paying out less in benefits. And that's a rosy theory, right? The budget will show that is happening and it will show projections that show for that reason, that is to say, getting so many people, we've had uh, more than the th you know, 370,000 uh, extra people in jobs mm -hmm. in the uh, last year and no, Mark, that hasn't been because we closed our borders um, uh, uh, definitionally. It's So th that that in itself is fixing 
this problem, this uh, huge amount of debt. Interest payments on debt will remain lower than they were several years ago because of the low interest rates. And people say, oh, look, uh, rates are going up. Yes, but uh, I get a, a ping from the Office of Financial Management on my email every day or two when they uh, sell government bonds, and they've been selling some of them for 30 years. So uh, it's uh, locked in low interest rates for the foreseeable, shall we say. Yeah, some of them. But what proportion of their profile is 30-year bonds? Oh, the large, the big chunks. The small chunks uh, are, are the, the ones they do. Sometimes they do for three months, yeah. uh, sometimes for one year, uh, quite a few for 10 years because you need flexibility in the small ones. You don't need flexibility in the, in the, in the big ones. So it will show that the budget will show very low unemployment with an opening of borders, with that factored in to the forecasts. So they do forecast now for four years. It'll show unemployment below 4%. It'll show a payoff from that, plus the, uh, the embarrassment of riches from uh, iron ore and other commodity prices. Frydenberg will be able to claim he is, no, I won't use the Keating phrase because we have to be vegan you know, bacon, but he, mm. he, he will the talk about not bacon. He will talk about it all coming together. And um, he has a very good story to tell. Now, he wouldn't have that story to tell, indeed, were it not for COVID. Were it not for COVID, he would have uh, persisted with back in the black. We wouldn't have had the stimulation. We would have had an unemployment rate where it always was. And um, he wouldn't be able to do this Houdini. I've escaped from this debt trap I've built. But um, so that's it- what's happened. So it's a Keynesian transformation of of the budget. Uh, we uh, yeah, successful. Uh, now you know we don't know what the future will bring, but uh, the future is not what's relevant, and the fu- the unexpected is unforecastable. So what's relevant on the budget night is what's forecast, and what's forecast will be rosy. It will show as if it's all paid off. Uh, you know, come but won't together. people look at uh, a trillion plus? gross debt and say that's astonishing. There will be a graph in the budget showing debt, uh, net debt, as it probably gross as well. well they're they're saying that gross going debt going down. Yeah, but they're down. saying that gross debt will peak lower and sooner than has been forecast in the past. Yeah, and and that- it, and, and net debt will peak soon. It will previously, in fact, it wasn't forecast to go down in the last budget. It, it, it'll it'll actually show it peaking and substantially going down. So for people who care about these things, you know, bother to look at the graphs or, or look at the details. Um, and who it, believe it was, them. It, it was, because not all of these predictions or projections have been right. I mean, that, for example, the RBA and the this is not strictly this is more of an economic parameter, but rather than a budget one, you're going to mention wages. I am going to mention wages. <laughs> repeatedly um, forecasting they'd pick up. Yeah, repeatedly forecasting and promising every time they'll pick up, and they are being outstripped by inflation. They're currently being outstripped by inflation. Mm. We expect to see a three point five percent wage growth figure projected in this budget. Yeah, but we're, we're 3.2 at the moment. We're, we're, yeah, but we're inflation's not, yeah. 3.5, so we're going backwards still. Yeah, that's right. Oh, no, sorry, we're 2.3. So it's it's terribly low at the moment, and that would be good. So but you're, you're right. the projection, yeah. Yeah, um, but people will, uh, you know, quite rightly, uh, be treat, treat, treat the wage forecast cynically. That's why there's going to be giveaways. I don't know what they're going to be, but- the best guess is that it'll be dressed up as something to help people with petrol prices. It won't 
the best guess is uh, that uh, it, it won't be a cut in the petrol excise. It will be taking that money, that uh, $8 billion per year from the uh, Lamington Low and Middle Income Tax Offset, Lamington. The Lamido, yeah. Yeah, that one. Uh, it, that uh, is pretty useless in an immediate sense because people get it at the end of the Because you get it at the end and they yeah, want to get – and this is yeah. the other thing, They'll Maria. bring it forward. Let, let, me, let yeah. me go to Maria on this because – this is what I understand to be the case, as Peter is outlining there, that they dumped the low and middle income tax offset, which is this $1,040, I think it was, that an individual would get, but they wouldn't get it to the end of the tax year. They're going to change it. They're going to dump that, and but they'll go for a one-off cash payment for low and middle income earners, not for people on welfare, incidentally, but for low and middle income earners, uh, and they'll get it before the election conveniently. Um, so this which, goes by the to- way, is two entire financial years earlier than it would have been paid out if they do it this financial year, yeah. which I think they might be minded well, to, Well, it Mark. raises the question, though, uh, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, Maria. It raises the question about whether people will buy this in a sort of a – you know, buy this in, a, in terms of its credibility because my understanding is that Labor – uh, senior figures are quite confident on this question. They 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 feel like uh, that the government suddenly handing out dosh just before a poll, the people will take it, of course, but they won't be very convinced by it. And of course, then you've got the whole question about do governments get a bounce from the budget? Everyone talks about budget bounces, but they usually just don't really materialise much. So I guess I want to know, like, is this money just going to be inflationary? Like- well, that's a risk too, isn't it? You know, I mean, if if uh, I mean, I think that is kind of the sort of big meta story that's going on right now. Like cost of living really kind of means inflation. Yeah, and this is a different sort of inflation. This isn't really inflation. What we've had, right? It's it's a one-off price rise or a number of one-off price rises. One of them for petrol that has impoverished people. So this will, if you like, be it's not like. Uh, prices chasing their own tail or anything. It's like a one-off hit to living standards. You know, it'll be reversed uh, when the oil price eventually reverses. Hit. Anyway, so can we go it's, back to yeah, Maria? Yeah, but it, it, it's, it's sort of um, reversing. It's sort of – it's not a it's not a, a diabetes-inducing sugar hit. It's reversing uh, a, a low blood sugar sort of suddenly uh, uh, presented with us by the oil price rise and other things. Okay, that's no, that is that's interesting. I mean, I guess on the question of whether or not people will um, buy it is, I, I think the government faces the problem that uh, people, I think, have come to understand that the 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 government no longer really sticks to its. Uh, rhetoric around, I guess, fiscal rectitude that it used to have, which you know we all kind of know um, was a bit bullshit in the sense that um, maintaining a budget like a household budget is kind of stupid, right? Um, and that it certainly like locked them out of certain um, opportunities. And and Peter was very good at sort of explaining how how COVID kind of allowed them to get out of this uh, trap that they had built for them themselves rhetorically. But I think they are sort of stuck in a different rhetorical bind, which is, you know, this is a government that has, has I think, or has now a solid reputation as uh, being pretty fast and loose with other people's money, i.e. taxpayers' money. And I, I do think there will be a high degree of cynicism um, in the community about it and they might not get the, mm. I guess, uh, credit, right, that Peter has sort of said like, okay, so it's a low blood sugar hit rather than a sugar hit. And I, I actually do wonder if a lot of people will just 
well, essentially view it in the way I did. Like, I'm worried about inflation. Prices seem to be going up. Inflation is running out of control in America. People are talking about wage rises. But if wages kind of go to kind of catch up with cost of living, aren't we going to end up in a wages outbreak? Weren't there 17% interest rates in the 1980s? Like, oh. Yeah, I remember. That's them. sort of how I think. Yeah, a and lot of and and, view and this. that's that's really interesting too because you get to that question uh, of the consistency of the message or the coherence of the narrative. So, uh, they the, the conservative government, uh, as it is, will want to go to an, ele- an election banking on its um, or, or, or reaping the the dividend of its uh, hard won reputation as as uh, you know, as you say, Maria, for fiscal rectitude of being sound economic managers. At the same time as trying to buy their way out of um, some unpopularity with these with these gifts, and there are, there is this narrative around about inflation. And if there's if there's a lack of consistency in what it is that you're saying, do people are people persuaded by it? I mean, no one's going to be sending the checks back. We know that much. Uh, but but will it will it be a sugar hit in terms of any popularity they get as well? I think I think your your concerns may well be right, Maria. I'm I'm just uh, I'm just speaking about the set of numbers they'll be able to present. Whether they break through to a population which increasingly sees the prime minister as not always up to his word, uh, not not always um, uh, having uh, not always having complete veracity, it, it might feed into that. So I, I think it's it'll play polite. out. Yeah, that was very that was very diplomatic. So I think I think I think there are like potentially some uncertainties in how it will, it will play out, right? So I mean, like giving people money might just make them feel good. The country's going in the right direction. I, I doubt it will actually kind of counter like all of this sort of anxiety, right? You know, like people can't afford houses, the mortgages are about to go up, uh, all, all of that, right? Um, um, and I, I do wonder, I guess, in those constituencies that are already quite concerned about the reliability and trustworthiness of this of the government, right? You know, the leafy kind of green, the teal seats, the teal independent seats. Like, you know, throwing, like, giving out this money might might just reinforce that sort of narrative that this is a government that will kind of say or do anything to get reelected. They don't. Lo- they no longer have the their principles. They don't even have this narrative around their, you know, the sort of rock solid economic uh, manager line. You know, we kind of already know that many in the liberal base are kind of horrified by the amount of spending that they have undertaken, and because it does, it does sort of kind of undermine a sort of core narrative. And so, if if Labor can paint this spending as reckless, as you say, people will very happily take this money. Yeah, they but might Labor's just save gotta- it. A credibility problem there too. Uh, probably the best thing Labor can do is shut up, because um, rightly or not, the the school halls, the building, the school education halls was revolution. a good program. I well, will not well, hear a word said about it. <laughs> well, they've left us with a lot of fine school halls. Um, yeah, which well, is the insulation program, was... and and you know, Labor's got that baggage, definitely, hasn't it, definitely. in people's minds. It does. Yeah, but Rudd won with. uh, I'm sorry, Maria. Very brief point. Rudd won uh, with that statement in 2007. This reckless spending must stop, and it and it really did burnish his credentials as a new kind of Labor Prime Minister. Now, obviously, the GFC happened shortly afterwards, and you know things, everything changed. But um, which which led to school halls and, and and some other things, but. You know, I think Maria's point is very valid here in terms of um, the the overall reputation that the Conservatives have that uh, that they are they've essentially thrown up against the wall, really, for the last several years. 
I, I think I think it's it's just now much more risky for the government, and it is a kind of interesting point that you you make there, Peter, um, and and Mark too about about Rudd and about the baggage associated, um, you know, around these labour spending programs, which we know the waste on I think the the building the education revolution was around three percent of the of the whole budget um, compared to the quote unquote waste of the JobKeeper program, which I think was significantly thirteen point five billion. I think went to companies that were still making a profit. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot so, of cash. Yeah, I, you know, and and again, like it's it's that trade off between how you get this money out. There's always going to be a bit of a bit of waste, right? But I guess I do wonder: is this sort of like the 1983 election? You know, people people are People are not necessarily convinced that the country is kind of going in the in the right direction. The government's um, ha- the government has not necessarily been able to sort of fulfil its economic rhetoric, right? Like Fraser, you know, was mm. kind of waiting for a mining boom that didn't show up on time, right? And then and you know, uh, Labor got elected and the drought broke, and like you know, the economic sh- sunshine came out, right? He was just very unlucky in his electoral timing. Um, and I do, I do wonder if like events are, are, are moving so rapidly, you know, that the government's situation is deter- has deteriorated so so markedly since the beginning of the year for a bunch of acts of God and uh, unforced errors. I, I just wonder whether or not the the, the reception of of uh, of delightful handout beforehand will will be viewed as a you know, without cynicism, I suppose. Oh, it's just a, just another thing that's being thrown at them, another sort of stunt effectively, yeah, but an it, expensive one in this it'll case. It'll tick every box. It won't be enough, uh, you know, to satisfy everyone and people will, will treat the money cynically. My father, by the way, Ross Martin, uh, John Howard sent out those checks to senior citizens. I don't know why, just because they were senior citizens uh, before the election. I take because they were voters, yeah. And and my, my, my father was of the view that he didn't need the check, so he sent his to Maxine McHugh, or he sent her a, a donation <laughs> with a card saying, uh, "Get rid of this man. What's he doing? Sending me money." <laughs> it seemed to work. Uh, it? it did. Um, so, so yeah, people might treat it badly, but if you look at what the government. There's only some things the government can do, and I think the budget will enable it to do uh, in every way to pre- use the, the best hand it, it's got. It, well, it, can, pretty- it can't not give people relief, right? Yeah. I mean, these people are justly screaming about, you know, petrol prices, what, up from 160 at the beginning of the year? Yeah, up from 160 at the beginning of the year to about 220, um, you know, well, that's the trouble, though. It's going to be a, what is it, a hamburger and a fuel tank, as I made the point the other day, I mean, uh, or a few fuel tanks, and then it's gone. And I, look, here's my prediction about it. The budget will um, will, will be, for, for reasons you've said, um, probably quite well received. The government's had plenty of time to think about it, and uh, it has some favourable conditions uh, to play with here. Whether it will change the political calculus or not, I think is far less certain. I suspect not. Most budgets don't. And uh, two weeks after the budget, we'll be in an election campaign, and I don't think people will be voters. I mean, politicians might be, but I don't think voters will be talking about the budget. They'll just be talking about the uncertainty uh, in the, the uncertain environment in which the budget has been framed and in which we're having an election. And uh, you know, I think there's only one budget that's actually really affected people, and I'm wondering whether you can think of the same one as me, Mark. In, term, in terms of actually making a difference in how people thought. Uh, Maria? 
2001. It's recent. It's recent. Oh. It was a 2014 budget. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yes. That, that was when that was when Joe Hockey decided to fix things. Yeah. Boy, did he fix things. Well, People were going to retire later. They were Pension was only going to be indexed miserly. Um, yeah. He fixed, oh, you know, you're going to have to wait forever for an unemployment benefit. He fixed things and, they and people noticed. People they, noticed. Proud, they proudly announced they were cutting $80 billion out That's of right. health and education. I remember I, I ran with that as the leader of uh, my it. coverage. That and day. and, and uh, that, by the way, was... Uh, not something that everyone noticed, and and you did on the night. It turned out to be the big thing. Um, that was that was an extraordinary budget. That had there been an election, it would have made a big difference. But yes, I agree. It's more a case of not making mistakes. And I, I think you're right, um, Maria. I, I, I'm certain that people won't be talking about the budget, you know, in six weeks' time or whenever when there's the election. We're uh, we're just at time now, so look, I think we might leave it there. There were so many other things that we could cover. We'll have to come back, obviously, and and we'll be talking about the budget next week once we've actually seen it, um, and uh, and some other things. And uh, there's going to be a lot of election talk, a lot of opinions to be exchanged about uh, what's going to turn this election one way or the other. I'll leave you with this thought, and I'll uh, take a response from both of you. I suspect the women of Australia are going are the big sort of sleepers in this election, and many of them have already made up their minds. I've I've nothing to say to that, other <laughs> other than you, you certainly uh, the candidates who are the ones who will uh, take seats away from the government if that happens are women, and um, it used to be a truism. Dean Yench, who uh, died this year um, was my politics tutor at university and uh, he told us in uh, you know I think the first class certainly in first year at Flinders Uni he said um, women don't vote for women and I don't think that's true anymore I think that's it mustn't be true because uh, there are so many women standing presumably uh, you know the people who are backing them have chosen them uh, precisely because they think women will vote for women yeah, that's de- that's definitely that's definitely changed historically, um, and yes, I do think um, uh, the women's vote will will be important because you know the the issues in focus recently have all been about the role of of government, and that is I think an issue that really does impact women, and women have come to kind of understand that uh, in a in a new way, uh, and and that probably reflects why across the world we see that women have gone from voting for conservative parties because they were afraid of radical Labor governments who might do crazy things to to now voting for social democratic parties because they support services that women disproportionately rely on because they ultimately organise their children's lives. And we can thank South Australia, of course. Without well, that, also women just, mightn't they, have voted. They'll also, and I've spoken... <laughs> At least not as soon. Many have said to me, and I, I, I take this uh, as, as an important detail, that you know they'll also have just been watching Scott Morrison, watching the way he uh, handles... Uh, you know, um, blame when it uh, when there's blame to be accepted. Uh, watching the way he handles conversations, looking at his language in in a number of crises, and I think this is um, you know, let's just put it this way: we have a secret ballot in this country, and I think there'll be a number of people who might be changing their vote. We shall see, of course. Um, that's Democracy Sausage for this week. Peter Martin, Maria Taflaga, thanks very much again for uh, for being here. Pleasure. Pleasure. And um, we'll uh, talk next week, as I say, probably all things budget again. Bye for now.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.